Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to the All These Branches podcast. Um, I'm super excited for you all to be able to hear this interview between a good friend of mine, Wes Patterson, and myself. Wes is many different things. He is, first and foremost, a wonderful human with all sorts of insight and kindness to give to the world. But Wes is also a student. He is currently studying at the Seattle School of Psychology and Theology. Um, and he is learning all sorts of wonderful things from his time there that he contributes to this conversation and that I am just loving being able to learn from him um, and the time that we spend together. Wes is also a board member at Branches. He is uh, one of eight board members on our board, on our leadership team, and Wes is also uh, apprenticing at Branches with me. Uh, He is doing that through school and really believes what Branches is all about and uh, has some really unique and wonderful gifts and skill sets that he is going to be able to contribute and bring to our All These Branches community, which we get into a little bit in this conversation, but really that's something that we're going to be developing over the summer and into the fall. Um, And I'm excited for Wes to become, you know, a more consistent face in what we're doing and for you all to be able to to learn from him and his unique skill set as well. With that in mind, a couple things to note is that on June 6th, Branches is having our first in-person gathering in over a year. It'll have been probably 16 months since we last gathered. And we're going to be gathering in a new space as well. So we have been meeting in West Central on Broadway in a building there, but we're actually trying out for the summer. Uh, we're probably going to do three different things once a month, all at the same location, and that's going to be in Perry, the Perry neighborhood. So we're going to be at Liberty Park United Methodist Church, and we're going to have one gathering in June, one in July, and one in August. And then at those gatherings, we're going to give people the invitation to kind of find different cohorts to meet in throughout the summer and then see where we're at at the end of the summer and let that lead us into the fall. So check out our newsletter at allthesebranches.com. You can subscribe. We'll have more info there. We'll put some stuff on Instagram and Facebook as well, but obviously super excited to be with everybody. Of course, we're going to follow COVID precautions and be um, keeping tabs on that as well. I believe that Spokane is just about to move into phase two. The nice thing about this space is that 25% capacity should give us more than enough room. We'll obviously make sure that uh, masks are required, social distancing will be adhered to, and if it's a nice day, there's a good chance that we'll even be outside. So um, please, uh, if you're able, I mean, obviously it's a personal choice, but vaccinations are readily available to everybody in this country over 16. Emily and I got vaccinated. We're super happy to have been able to be able to do that. Uh, I would encourage you to look into that, do the research. There's a lot of good research there. The CDC is putting out a lot of really good details for you to learn up on, um, and it is a great way to help one another out. It is uh, a wonderful opportunity that we have and a really beautiful gift that we have to be able to fight this disease with science. So let us do our part to do that. Um, Yeah, so excited for that, excited for being together again. I'm also excited for you to hear this podcast. Wes and I get into a lot of different things. Uh, Wes explores hospitality and what that means for him um, as it relates to his spirituality and his growth. 
what it means to try and construct a barn, um, even after a spiritual entity or the institution of the church can challenge and belittle who you are naturally as you are. Um, but then also we, we get into talking about just what does it mean for things to be right or wrong and just the mindset, the colonial mindset. Wes hits on this idea that makes us cast such blanket steamrolling judgment statements onto people. And from there we get into uh, what I think is really the, the bread and butter <laughs> of the conversation, which is just how can we seek this story? How can we learn to see everything, all things with thingness? So people and plants and the world that we live in as full of story and full of wonder and full of potential. And how can we let that be something that we build around? Um, because really, ideology, ideology is not a thing. Ideology are the masks that we all wear. And underneath those masks, there's thingness. And as Richard Rohr talks about in his book, The Universal Christ, Christ is another name for everything. Within everything, beneath the mask, there is divinity to be discovered. So we navigate and get into that as well, um, all within the framework of how any old donkey can tear down a barn, but it takes a special donkey to build one. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, please like and subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. Leave a comment, whatever makes sense to you. But also our website, allthesebranches.com. You can find our newsletter there. Um, and then also our Instagram is allthesebranches and then Facebook branches spokane and we will be posting updates regarding our in-person gathering which will be in on june 6th in the perry district thanks so much everybody talk to you soon That's an aside. So you are a student and you've been going to branches, but the reason I brought up branches is because you are also currently fulfilling the role of a board member at branches. And you're also the secretary. Woohoo! What a fun role that is. I enjoy it. I like it. Let's let's make some minutes and an agenda. <laughs> and summarize things that can be difficult to summarize at times, but you always do a great job. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Definitely uh, not, not something I'm drawn to whatsoever. So <laughs> way to go, you, Wes, Thanks, for Mike. your unique skill set. Um, but I bring up those two. So you are, and, and now there's a third, which kind of relates to both of those pieces. You are Branches's uh, first intern in my tenure oh. working here. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I, <laughs> I well, hope so. Were you were you the last intern that Branches had? I think I was the last it's wave had. of interns. Yes, I was not the only one. There was like a team of four, or five, five of us, okay. I believe, who were interns. But now wow. you're interning, and that is part of your schooling, right? Yeah. Nice. It is.
And I'm I'm grateful you're willing to go on that adventure with me. For sure. I think it'll be a fun one. <laughs> the 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 biggest draw to the apprenticeship is in many ways I feel like what Branches is doing, what what you're doing, um, kind of examining what does community look like and um through the lenses that are very branches, like the story, wonder, action, and the humanity over ideology. Um, what does that look like to be fleshed out in 2021 when we're coming out of a pandemic and people have a real life? Uh, but also there's a very virtual element that I think many of us discovered if we hadn't already been aware of it. And then in many ways, I know for me, like the virtual part of my person is kind of what how I stayed connected with people because we couldn't <laughs> sit yeah. in a room together. Um, and so I, I think branches is asking some really interesting questions. I think you're asking some very interesting questions and approaching it very creatively in a way that, um, invites the future for what does a faith community look like? Mm. And one that's not, um, that doesn't have hard drawn lines of this is what we believe. And if you believe you're in with us and if you don't believe it, you're out. Right. Um, and that those to borrow an allegory, like the, the tent is, is, is big enough to include a lot of folks that are often excluded. Hmm. Um, and then to also, I know what we've talked about for the apprenticeship that I'm excited about is exploring. Can we do that beyond just Spokane? Can we do that beyond just the people who can gather, or maybe even making it accessible for people who are in Spokane but can't gather at the space or at the time um, and trying to figure out and explore what what does that look like and uh, how do we do it well? Um, and I guess at this point it feels very open-handed, uh, but I, I feel like that those questions, those pieces resonate with a lot of what I'm learning at the Seattle School, and it's... In, in many ways, the ethos of the Seattle School, I, I think, is is pretty parallel to the ethos of Branches in that it's about relationship. It's about community. It's about trying to put the humanity of people over the ideology, but also holding that ideology is important. Like, what is your theology? What do you believe? Yeah. Um, and that that's a key part of our personhood. Um and so in, in many ways, they're kind of feeding each other. There's a lot of thinkers, authors, concepts that I'm being exposed to at the Seattle School that I, I feel like are putting words to things that are already being explored and fleshed out through conversations with you, through the community of branches, and through the questions that we're asking about the future. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And it sounds to me... That all of that work and all that processing and all that discovery and all that exploration that you're partaking in right now is you, in a sense, to use the the phrase that we've been using for this series, that's you building a barn. You're trying <laughs> to incorporate and learn how to build something rather than just deconstruct it and rather than just throw it out. Um, mm -hmm. There's a sense that I've always gathered from you, which is there are things that are wrong about how mm -hmm. um, the church has operated. But also, they're like obviously and objectively, <laughs> yeah. and we can get into that too. But there are also um, there's the possibility for growth and to create something as well. Mm -hmm. So 
I am wondering if you would be willing to backtrack. Okay. Any old donkey can tear down a barn, but it takes a special donkey to build one. Your special donkey is showing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Ali did not like that. Ali, it's okay, buddy. It's all right, bud. Um, But I'm guessing, I'm not guessing, I know that you, Wes, have gone through some, some serious shit. And uh, however much you want to explore that, um, I am curious, what led you to realize that things weren't working, that sometimes the barn needs to, turn, uh, to be torn down, and what motivated you to rather than just running away from the barn altogether to try and reconstruct one? Church stuff. I, I stepped out and I got to join and be a part of a community in Canada called Generous Space. Hmm. Um, and they, in many ways, are trying to figure out what does community look like for LGBTQ plus folks who um, are arriving at different theological conclusions and trying to do their best to just live within their convictions, but also be honest about the reality of being lesbian, gay, bi, trans etc. Yeah. And then trying to figure out how to do community and share life well with other folks who live in the same same or similar reality but at the same time may not have arrived at the same theological conclusion. So like gay celibate folks um sharing space and room with partnered gay folks. Yeah. Or trans folks who are just coming out to themselves. Hmm. Um, and, and grappling with what that means and how that, uh, impacts their life, sharing a room with someone who's already transitioned, um, just kind of that space. Yeah. And so I, I guess, I guess I acknowledge my bias in being that I, I think they, they had four core tenants that they kind of ran with that I mm. think definitely showed up in the, the gamer spaces, but I, I wouldn't have identified them in that time yeah yeah and then i'm finding that these words are also themes that keep popping up in our conversations at branches Hmm. and and also in the work and conversations at school Hmm. um hospitality being a big one and and not just um so i lived in texas (laughs) for a while as a kid and uh there's southern hospitality (laughs) Um, <laughs> which I think is different from the hospitality that we're talking about in the sense that the, the hospitality that I saw or got to participate in at Jenner space, the hospitality that I, I feel and, and see in branches and the hospitality that I saw, uh, amongst these gamers was not the hospitality where you have like the, the nice couch and then the other couches and the nice, nice dining wear that you pull out for special <laughs> guests and that you may not pull out for other guests. Um, yeah, it's a front. Yeah, it's, but it's the hospitality that I think we're talking about is the come in, make yourself at home. Um, here's the fridge, help yourself to whatever you want, sit wherever you want. Um, like, the the messy comfortable and uncomfortable gathering of people together yep and and doing it together 
uh, mutuality is another word that comes in. And I think that's heavily entwined in that, in the sense that hospitality that's extended where one is in the place of, of honor or host and they're welcoming in others is different than hospitality where, um, I, I think of a friend's house as a kid, like you, whenever I would go over to their house, like I, you know, my friend's mom wasn't going to do anything for me. Like, yep. she's like, you know where the fridge is, <laughs> you know where the bathroom is. Like you're, you're welcome here. You are loved here. You are embraced here. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's the same playing field. We sit next to each other. We, we do the same things. There's nobody that's doing something for somebody else. Yeah. Um, it's like hospitality. That's not performative. It's yeah. just like present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, the fullness of who somebody is so much so that like there doesn't need to be tiptoeing around like, well, this is how we do this and this is how we do this. We're doing mm-hmm. this right. Right. Like a, yeah. like this sense of hospitality that you're talking about seems to be one that's, uh, there's space, there's generous space, which is <laughs> why it's a great name. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah. When I, I guess an example that comes to mind for me too is, uh, and <laughs> we would joke about this at the the old Broadway building. Um, but there was, I think it was after the pride parade, there mm-hmm. was this little pride flag. Yeah. And it, it was clear that you, you were intentional about just hanging this. It was, it was a little flag, maybe three by five. Yeah, it was pretty tiny. smaller, <laughs> but it was a little pride flag uh-huh. and it would just get taped up on the window in the back of the room. Um, so that when, when you're coming in, especially like, especially someone who's gay, when you go into places, you notice the bread flag, even if it's like itty bitty and tucked away in a corner. Um, and then you also notice the places where there's a complete absence of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying everybody has to have a pride flag somewhere so gay people can see it, but I think in faith communities and businesses, it, it can be a way of extending hospitality uh, and it doesn't have to be this gargantuan flag that's yeah. prominently placed. Right. Um, I I felt comfort and hospitality in the sense that there was this little pride flag that was there that said, we see you, you're welcome here. But at the same time, it was small enough to where it's like, we're all here together and it, it's it's not going to be this differentiating factor as well. Do you think a version of that, that would be like almost Southern hospitality is the church that has like 80 pride flags out front. And Um, and what I mean by that is like, in that sense, it does uh, to me can come across as performative. mm -hmm. Like it's bringing out the China. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because for me, it begs the question, why are you trying so hard? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, yeah. And uh, my reaction may obviously not be the same as, as other queer people. I mean, for some people, that might be very inviting. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's not. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but. Nuance, yeah. Wes? You're saying everybody <laughs> might have their own reaction to something what? like that? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's a. I'm happy that that was something you noticed. I remember we've mm. talked about that a lot. And that is cool. And I, it was, uh, it's a ritual. 
every Sunday, right around 9.30. Just go get the pride flag from the filing cabinet and two pieces of tape and just yep. let it hang from the window. Yeah, for sure. I remember that happening, and I, yeah, I I appreciated and valued that. Because it, yeah, it, it was a way to say, hey, you're welcome here, but it wasn't like, we are the gay church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, there's, I think there is a need for churches that, that may have bigger pride flags yeah. or identify as a gay church. But I think in the the future and the community that I long for, um, there's, there's this weird balance that again comes with that mutuality of experience of freedom and, and, and liberating space of, I can be me here, but also the flip side of, I can also just be me here and I don't have to be the gay guy or Mm. my, my sexuality being different doesn't have to be the this this highlighted moment um and i i think i've really come to appreciate that about branches of i i get to experience that a little bit of yes people know i'm gay (laughs) um and i'm i am out but at the same time that's that's been embraced that's been accepted and it, it doesn't have to be an ongoing point of discussion it i'm not getting poked and prodded of how did you reach that theological conclusion how did you reach the idea of being affirming right uh, and like it, it you can be wes yeah like, fully in everything that that means i mean mm. nobody <laughs> nobody wants to be the only christmas tree at a pumpkin party <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it is interesting, and this kind of comes back to something we talked a little bit about earlier, and that everybody wants to gather around a pond, whether you're conservative or you're liberal or wherever you fall in the continuum. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be ponds that are going to be the very outright and outspoken gay church. And unfortunately, there are going to be ponds that are the really hate-filled, um, you know, just brutally abusive in a lot of different senses churches um and I, that is a pond that is toxic and needs to be avoided at all costs and i hope and i think that uh the goal with branches in the community that we're trying to build is being a church that um recognizes there are some ponds that we need to avoid at all costs there are some ponds that are really good and a good place to congregate around but really if you leave any pond alone by itself for too long Stagnant Mm -hmm. water produces abundances of algae. It becomes not safe to drink. It can Mm -hmm. get mucky. It can dry up. Seasons will, where there's drought, you're not going to have water in there at all. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to be more of a river church that is really focused on the idea of water that is flowing, that is good, and that is headed somewhere. And it's also incorporating as much as it possibly can. So that is never defined by like one specific thing, mm-hmm. um, but is trying to integrate and trying to, yeah, find ways to find ways to see the water and also to you know, of course, avoid the water that is hate filled, but be be in the flow of something rather than standing for one hardcore specific thing. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, the flowing water. I like that metaphor because it it, it invites change, which. If anybody knows me, 
change is not my favorite thing, but I have, I hope, <laughs> fingers crossed, <laughs> at least reached a point in my life where I understand that it's uh, change is a constant in life, but it's it's also an important thing. I've I've heard it at school in other spaces too. But it's like if you think you have something figured out, then you should be concerned <laughs> because <laughs> there's evolution change something has happened and you probably don't have it all figured out hmm. um but the yeah i i really appreciate the ponds metaphor and uh i i think even kind of going back to the like the affirming theology piece i because I, I would have to admit that my bias is um yeah, I'm affirming. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm out, open to being in a same-sex relationship, all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, as someone who came from a heavily non-affirming hmm. uh, theological upbringing and and even held theology for more of my life than I'd like to admit, um, there's... There is a part of me that extends a desire for empathy, and I, it, it's always hard to describe it because I don't want it to sound patronizing of like, oh, I feel bad for those poor non-affirming people over there because they haven't reached affirming yet, because that's, I don't think that helps anybody, but there is this part of me that's like, I do want to share community with people who may not have landed where I'm at or on that journey or have just arrived at being affirming and still putting those pieces together or that barn together. Uh, <laughs> and because it, I'm, I'm enjoying <laughs> the donkey barn metaphors because I, I do, I guess for me in, in those pieces in those walls of the barn's, and sheds being torn down, there's stories and there's people and there's experiences and there's trauma and pain of their own. And I guess I'm learning more and more that we can't be too quick to bulldoze somebody else's theology. Yeah. Um, and, and that for, for those of us who may have gone on journeys of deconstruction and even are further along on reconstruction, that um, that there's room for those who haven't started deconstructing to start hearing the stories of why maybe re deconstruction would be a life giving thing for them as well. Yeah, um, and it, you can't you can't knock somebody else's barn down without talking to them through it. I mean, some people have to do that on yeah. their own accord or else they're just going to be pissed. Right. I mean, we all know people like that. If we like have, I mean, to use theology as an example, it's just one of many, but you mm -hmm. come along spouting off some new thing. You just heard Rob Bell say on his podcast and you're trying to force mm -hmm. this person into thinking that that's exactly what you're rebelling against. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to be open to that. It's a, it's a thing that somebody has to come to on their Mm -hmm. own terms and i also think it's important that like in the phrase any old donkey can tear down a bar and it takes a special donkey to build one there seems to be this like bias towards oh i want to be the special donkey that's building one mm -hmm. but the phrase is twofold in the sense that it's also an invitation 
Did you know that any old donkey, you, <laughs> no matter how built up your system or framework is, no matter how bought into it you feel like you need to be, you have an invitation to tear that down mm-hmm. if it doesn't work. And I think it's yeah. important to note, too, that this is, it's not just about tearing the barn, I'm rebuilding the barn. It's about anybody everywhere feeling like they do have their permission and they do have the autonomy mm-hmm. to tear down the barn to begin with. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't feel like they have that permission. Yeah. that in there jeff is perfect that's how we'll start <laughs> jeff, 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 jeff. um falsetto <laughs> anyways <laughs> um yeah i so much of what what you i'm i'm chewing on so much of what you're talking about and i i think just as we have the conversation going i guess the the metaphor of just agency of the donkey (laughs) and Hmm. uh what what are the barns what are the sheds i keep saying sheds i think because i'm thinking of the shed that you and emily tore down which Um, is not making much progress yet but (laughs) (laughs) that's okay (laughs) Um, tore down (laughs) but even in that i there it takes time Mm -hmm. to to build something back well, I I remember when I when I first came out and had kind of reached that point of knowing, identifying that that longing for that liberating freedom, mm-hmm. and and moving towards that. I there was also this like desire to burn everything down, yeah, and um. I, I, in many ways, I'm because uh, it was about that point that I, I crossed paths with uh, generous space and and got to be involved in that community. And I think in many ways that that intentional, intentionally diverse community trying to do life together well, uh, as messy <laughs> as that is, was um, taught me to remember the humanity of donkeys that i may disagree with nice <laughs> their, the humanity of donkeys <laughs> or their the the value of their barns mm. um i i guess in, in my brain as i'm saying this i picture you know when you're you go down highways and there's um well, there's even one over on Glenrose here in Spokane that I used to pass going out to where I used to work. <laughs> uh, there's this barn that's kind of randomly in the middle of a field that's randomly in the middle of all these neighborhoods yep. that's not too far from a Target <laughs> and <laughs> all sorts of development. And 
there's as as a kid, I remember sitting in a car and going on road trips through like we'd drive from North Dakota to Spokane and and there's these old crumbling homesteads and um I I was very black and white as a child. I was like, the world needs to be cleaner. Let's tear those down. And uh, <laughs> in hindsight, there's this part of me that goes, but what about, like, what about all the stories? What about the, you know, who were the families that lived there? Um, what, what brought them out West? Uh, going back even further, like, who... What huts used to be on there? What teepees used to be on there? Like what, what did life on that land look like for the indigenous who were there before the home was? Um, but to just, to just burn the mother down, hmm. seeing it and, and holding it. And I, I think for me, sometimes... And this to some people this might sound wrong, so I apologize in advance if it does. But like to me, sometimes when I see other people's theology that haven't had to go on a similar journey to mine, or mm. may not have had uh, found the personal permission, space, need for doing deconstructionary work or or owning their own theology, um, sometimes there's that little kid in me that sees it and goes. That needs to come down. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I've I've learned in doing that that can be violent and dismissive of maybe that theology breathed life into a space and place for that family or that person that didn't have a family to come from, hmm. or they. There was a, a longing for community, and they found it in a place that just happened to have that theology, and they continued to find that community life-giving in some way. And to to force deconstruction on them would do would would render harm. It would it would be tearing down a barn that people are still living in. Yeah, and oh. it could hurt people. Yeah, I think within that, there's like always a need to what's the the deeper time story here what's mm -hmm. and i think all of us um no matter where we are or what barns we're in view the world through the lens of what is right in mm -hmm. our context or in our barn and yeah just the notion that there are there are orientations that i think can be objectively seen as more healthy and loving and incorporative than others. Mm -hmm. But to try and like stamp our approval or disapproval all over the world really limits the story that's happening mm -hmm. in the space that we're trying to, you know, cast some kind of judgment on. Yeah. And there, I think that's, that's something that Brian Doyle really taught me through his writing of just, mm -hmm. there's a story in everything. And mm -hmm. to assume that people are operating from a place strictly because of maliciousness is mm -hmm. probably never the case. Maybe, yeah. maybe in some very rare instances of like hate groups and extremist groups, that could be true. But almost always, mm -hmm. the reason for somebody's orientation is steeped in story. 
is steeped in this long history and lineage and nuance. Mm -hmm. And of course, the hope is that people can be more loving, be more incorporative. But are we willing to enter into the story rather than just cast some sort of assumption onto the situation? Um, I think a lot of this to me comes back to like the notion too of retributive versus restorative justice. Mm. And whether you're on the left or the right, like everybody's about retribution. Mm. Um, If you do something wrong or you're not in line with some, you know, left agenda and I consider myself a very progressive and left leaning person but you're dismissed you're mm-hmm. seen as oh we can't pay attention to them anymore they're backwards so let's just shun it out let's you know cast some retribution on them let's act like they're not there let's leave them behind mm-hmm. but what I think restorative justice gets at uh, is oh, maybe there's a story here that could be leaned into and in that, we can work collectively to restore something. Um, I think we could all benefit from story catching and mm-hmm. story seeking. And rather than like, because there's, there's a couple different things you can do, too. So when you encounter a story, mm-hmm. the thing you might do almost immediately is cast judgment onto the story. But I think that that is... That's one step in the right direction, and at least you're looking for the story. But then you're still doing the same thing, which is casting some kind of judgment. And I hope this doesn't sound like branches, ATB, all these branches, <laughs> self-promotion. But I think the hope is, is that through encountering the story, you go into like our next word, which is wonder. Mm-hmm. Are you asking curious questions about that story? Mm-hmm. Or are you just casting some sort of heavy-handed judgment onto it? But what wonder does when you're living and basking in the realm of a story other than yours is it gets you to open up to possibility of like, okay, why? Like, why is this story structured the way it is? Mm. Can I be curious about this rather than just quickly judgmental about this? Um, And in that curiosity, you know, trying to ask questions that allow you to engage with a person's story that's different than yours and maybe find some unfurling and all that. And then through that, maybe there's some sort of collective action and common ground that you all can take. But I think a lot of times, yeah, so much of the way we orient ourselves in the world is dismiss the story, forget that it's even there, and just assume that the way that we operate in the story that we're living in mm-hmm. is the only possible story that somebody can adhere to. And that's a great way to never actually discover something about someone. Yeah. Some would argue that's also a colonial mindset. Yeah, interesting. Tell me more about that. Um, that's <laughs> that's it's a big piece for me that's coming out in school is just how deep the roots of a colonial mindset go for those those of us particularly that have grown up in Western white culture. Yeah. Of how, I mean, Christianity was used to justify and perpetuate uh, eliminating uh, basically genocide and, and cultural genocide of wiping out other faith systems. I mean, that was clearly done to many yeah. of the uh, indigenous or Native American folks here in the States. Yeah. Um, and it's... 
it's, I think, ah, there was an article I read and I wish I could attribute it. Um, but it, it went into the idea of play and that particularly those of us that grow up as white men in Western circles, particularly American circles, and at least it resonated with me. I, I'm not yeah. going to try to speak for you. But as I read it, I was like, oh, my word. This is because growing up, um, play was not, especially when it was facilitated play. Like mm-hmm. even at church, it was never uh, go explore this field and bring back what you find or the questions yeah. that that you're asking or the wonders that you may have. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the stories that you're making up. It was you versus you, and the goal is to win. Mm-hmm. And like as as far back as I can think, that that was ingrained in me. In many ways, shockingly, or maybe not, even through the church spaces that I was in, it was, you know, it's time to go outside. You're on one team, you're on the other. Go. Yeah. Um, oh, and they're they're really they that was play. <laughs> the goal was have the kids burn off their energy, but also like team sports. So yeah, we're winner, loser. Yeah. Um and I I think in that dimension, but in many others of how we grow up as Western white people, unfortunately, it's so subtle the mm. ways how everything is dominion oriented. Yep. Take it over. And wow. I I think I think even when we come back to these conversations about like other people's barns, there's there is this part that that I know I have to resist of wanting to tear somebody else's barn down just because I think they're wrong and I think I'm right. Hmm. And so if I, if I do that, I'm doing the right thing because I'm removing the wrong from the world. And that, Oh, it's the same old bullshit, right? (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Oh, wow. That is a really interesting, Wes. It's just so hardwired Mm -hmm. that mindset. And I mean, this is definitely going to rub people the wrong way, but of course, manifest destiny in the time mm-hmm. and the moment seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed mm-hmm. like this is what needs to be the case. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to enforce this to no end. And by no means am I saying that manifest destiny and um, some of the more you know progressive things we're shooting for are the same thing. They're not. But no. the mindset and the way that uh, that can mm-hmm. manifest is so similar is you're on our side or you're not if you're not we're gonna steamroll you Mm -hmm. get out of the way yeah yeah especially if it's done in the name of like uh truth or god or yep air quotes to both of those (laughs) things like that but like discovery and curiosity are so not a part Mm -hmm. of a colonial mindset and so not a part Mm -hmm. of the dominant narrative of our conversation in 2021. Mm -hmm. We're so far beyond that era. And yet, yeah, you, that's a great point. I appreciate you bringing it up because just thinking of Mm -hmm. what the colonial framework 
has done and just how pervasive that still is mm-hmm. on either side of the aisle. Yeah. What, what's it take to break free of that? Tell us, help. <laughs> I, I, that's a great question. I don't know. Uh, that's those, but I, I guess my bias slash conviction is those are the questions that I hope we can start asking. Um, and it, it's tough because, like, in this last presidential election, crap, <laughs> I'm going there. <laughs> oh um, man, there's you know you clearly have these two candidates and. The here we go. Do it. The entire framework for the Biden campaign was we have to beat Trump. Hmm. And yep. and there there were a number of, of articles and, and voices after the election saying, okay, and kind of an essence of sweet, okay, cool. So Biden beat Trump. Now what? Because yep. This this unified group of people who varied from everything from, you know, Republicans who had just switched over to being Democrats because their political leanings no longer aligned with Trump, uh, all the way over to people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and yep. all along the spectrum in between had unified under this cause of a common adversary. And yet it's almost like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yeah, well, now that now that we caught the Roadrunner, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, for me. There's, I think, a, I'm trying to identify a, a concern, a fear in in those that are so trying to fight for what they believe in, but at the same time, steamrolling, like you were d- describing anybody that's in the way mm-hmm. because after you get done and you reach your goal, if there's nobody left <laughs> yeah. to work with or uh, share a community with, was it worth it? Right. Well, and like, is it really in, is a rebuttal anything if it doesn't have something beyond the rebuttal? Mm. Like, is it, is it moving past? Cause otherwise you're just playing ping pong. Mm-hmm. Um, to use a Vampire Weekend lyric, in the ping pong match of constant desire, I was never going to get ahead because I was looking in the mirror. Mm. Of just, there's this. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. <laughs> but it's just this constant, yeah, this notion of, well, we need to beat this person because they're evil, which in this case, yeah. But at the same time, um, and it comes back to the, the donkey situation. Mm-hmm. All right, you tore it down. Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, or. Okay, you were unified in your hate. There's a lot more courage involved being unified in your love. Uh, and so what is it that we can be unified in that we're building as opposed to just mm-hmm. tearing just tearing down? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder, I do wonder about that. Like, why, why is there such an emphasis on steamrolling to use that term Mm -hmm. um as opposed to learning and discovering and i think it's because it's easier there's a much less vulnerability involved in that than there Mm -hmm. is in actually taking the time to discover because in discovering something about somebody else you also have to discover things about you Mm -hmm. um and a lot of people would rather just be unified in something they're against rather than look at themselves Mm -hmm. that seriously because it is it's vulnerable and it's scary Mm -hmm. but I do wonder, yeah, 
what's how can we how can we get past just the conquering mindset because that exists on both sides mm-hmm. uh, and I think that is kind uh, that is the message of Christ mm-hmm. I mean it's yeah. being able to set aside the ego set aside the need to be right and not be yeah. like well and it be conquered yourself mm-hmm. but in allowing that to happen show an alternative way that invites people into taking the time to think, taking the time to be conscious and taking the time to process through something as opposed to just constantly mm-hmm. playing that ping pong match. Yeah. And that as you as you're saying that, there's uh last term uh for one of the classes we had her do a reading by um <laughs> go figure. I had it in my head and then as I started talking it's like whoop mm-hmm. uh it was by John Swinton, and uh, it's from a book called Raging with Compassion. But he highlights that in Matthew 25, Jesus identifies as, I think it's how you say it, Xenos? This hmm. is X-E-N-O-S. Um, and that when you dive into what that word means, um, basically he's the guest and the host. He is the friend and the one to be defriended or befriended. He's the familiar and the stranger all at the same time. Wow. And I think, I think so much what you're saying is, is right. And it resonates with that because there's, if Jesus, if we're trying to model life after Christ, whatever that might look for you, if, if we do draw inspiration from Christ, I think there's, there's a challenge and an invitation in that of, it the the moment that I think Christ is on my side, yeah, he's probably over there waving at me like, back what you doing? <laughs> huh. um, and I for me that's it's humbling. Mm. It's uh, I mean two other core values of gender space are mutuality and humility, mm. and I, I I think the Zeno's piece really highlights that because it. It's like this constant check of as soon as you think you have it figured out, you really don't. Well, and it's also a reflection of Rohr's idea that Christ is another name for everything. So, mm. like, if Christ is the Xenos, he's here mm-hmm. and then he's there, and or they are there and then they're here, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all of it is worth your time and mm-hmm. all of it is worth discovery, which means... The person you don't agree with, or the idea—well, more the person, because ideologies aren't really a thing; they don't have thingness. Uh, the person you don't <laughs> mm-hmm. agree with, there is Christ to discover within that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is Christ to discover within the food you don't like. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of, yeah, he's the mm-hmm. he's the guest and he's the host because whatever the Christ is is literally everywhere and in everything. And so if all you're going to do is spend your time discovering one piece of the Christ in one thing, mm-hmm. you're going to lose so much more potency because you could be discovering that in as many different places as possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me, as I hear that, there's this call to like the, the reminder of mutuality that, that even in those that we may deeply, deeply, deeply disagree with, there, there is 
the divine. There is Christ in that with them as well. And for, for us to cut them off, we are literally, or in essence, wow, that was completely conflictual. But <laughs> if, if, if we're cutting them off, we're basically cutting out part of the divine. Yep. Uh, and that, I mean, that feels really, uh, counter <laughs> what we're after. For sure. And it's just, you're, you're going to die. <laughs> I love saying that. And I know, I hope it's not too jarring, but the reason behind it is like, why are you spending, not you, but why are we spending <laughs> so much of our time being so focused on this tiny piece of the pie as opposed to trying to eat up as much of it as we can. And that doesn't mean giving yourself to like horrible ideologies because ideologies aren't a thing. What it means is how can I encounter as many different things? Mm. So maybe people who have different ideologies, whatever it might be, uh, to make this as full as possible. Mm -hmm. I, joke often about my love for frogs, but I do love frogs a lot. Um, and one of the things that has drawn me to frogs is I love to think about anybody who I differ with ideologically. Hmm. At some point, maybe when they were eight, they saw a frog <laughs> and they tried to catch it. Somebody who voted for Trump, who maybe still has a Trump flag on their front porch as an eight-year-old, they saw a frog hopping, and they stopped, and they pointed at it, and they smiled, and maybe they chased after the frog. Mm. That's the stuff that matters. Mm -hmm. The mask they're wearing is the Trump flag. The mm. reality of the person, the Christ inherent within them, inherent within that frog, inherent within the blades of grass that the frog hopped over, that's, that's, the, that's the frog story. That's the place that so many of us because vulnerability is so scary, because nobody's real with anybody, we don't talk about the frog stories as much. Mm. We hide behind the ideologies. And if we can get rid of the ideology and discover the thing, discover the person with the story, with the frog encounters, mm -hmm. with whatever it might be, all of a sudden, everything, every person, every moment is full of possibility mm -hmm. because it's so much bigger than the mask Mm -hmm. that's being worn. Yeah. And I, I guess I'll, I'll show my bias here too. I diving into your metaphor, I guess there's this part of me that's like, I don't feel like we should be building a barn. I feel like we should be building a table. Hmm. Um, but that's just because I think I'm enamored with the table idea. Yeah. Um, I think Jesus had a thing for tables. A lot of the kind of intriguing stories happen around tables. Many didn't, but um, I, I think it was something... It, to me, it's something that keeps sticking out. And it's also... For me, it's a framework of the, that's giving me a way to make what I'm longing to see happen tangible. Mm -hmm. Because when when you sit at a table with other people you share those frog stories. Yeah. You, you, 
as we've learned with the pandemic, you share the air that you're breathing. Right. And you you share the warmth of each other's company and emotionally, but even just sitting next to them, you you feel their body heat. And it's it breaks down the us versus them and it breaks down the the right and the wrong and it it brings flesh back mm-hmm. to each of us in in their eyes and in our eyes to unfortunately pull from the us versus them thing but yeah um and there's i think there's a reason why Jesus intentionally shared meals with people that others weren't happy about and uh, he had these pivotal moments with the disciples around a table um, and that he was intentional about sharing it with people who would deny him or <laughs> give him up for money. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's, to me, there's something so just powerfully invitational and undeniable in that idea of like, how, how can we build a table that invites all mm-hmm. and then how do we sit around the table together and how do we navigate the different dynamics that might be there and how do we, because the, the life that could come from those who've been oppressed sitting at the table with those that are their oppressors, as long as the framework and expectations are set to ensure that that's not going to happen at the table. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's hard. Uh, like even going back to the, um, uh, about justice it's it's hard because even when you dive into restorative justice like whose whose definition of justice are we right. are we using and i mean and it's hard <laughs> like yep. it's it's a slow and hard process but i think i think for the future that is what could be formational and it it's the antithesis of what comes naturally to us, particularly as Americans who have, I mean, <laughs> everything's a click away. I mean, yep. you have Amazon, Walmart, all these, even Target. My, uh, yep. Now, roommate and I were talking about, like, I've been shopping for groceries from Target because I literally just order it in the app and pick it up at the store two hours later. Yep. Uh, it's... But it's when it comes to relationships, when it comes to rebuilding a barn that's worth rebuilding, it's 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 not something that can be done from afar. We it's almost like we have to have a meal together before we can even pick up the tools to start putting the barn back together. For sure. No, I think that's dead on, Wes. And to have a meal together, and with maybe correct prompting mm-hmm. of people are going to immediately want to go back to wearing their masks, even at the meal, um, and to be able to find ways in which the masks can be off and everybody can be holding that space of uncomfortable vulnerability together. And that's the goal. 